Women Taking the Lead, episode 115. And so that's something I've had to manage within myself as a servant leader. But I really look at my role, my most important role is to serve others, remove obstacles, create processes, provide support and encouragement so that they can meet their personal goals. And when they win, I win. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentl.com forward slash recognize to reserve your spot in our upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work you do. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Laura Novak-Meyer, who is the owner and founder of Little Nest Portraits, a luxury boutique brand of photography studios specializing in family portraiture. As an independent photographer, Laura built Little Nest as a way to meet customer demand in an underserved niche of the market. Today, Laura is one of only 3% of women business owners to grow her company to more than a million dollars in revenue. Little Nest Portraits is now an emerging franchise company staying true to its leader's core values, vision, and passion. And Laura, that's just a little intro for everyone. So tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. So thank you. What a wonderful introduction. And it is so, it's such a privilege to be here. I really, really appreciate it. And um, my humble beginnings was that I started my own company when uh, about 15 years ago at the age of 23, when I was young and and very naive, which is perfect for an entrepreneur. And I really became an expert in my field in terms of being an independent photographer, photographing weddings and portraits and growing my my client base and and understanding of the business of photography. And in 2009, a couple things changed. The first, first of all, we, we had a economic downturn, as you know, and many of my high spending clients were saying to me, Laura, I love you, but not this year. And so, and the second thing that was happening is that I was thinking about starting a family. I was, I was um, engaged to be married and thought to myself as an independent photographer, I'm only making money when there's a camera in my hands. And there's something fundamentally wrong with that as a business model. So I started to think about creating a retail concept around the idea of what I knew about upscale portrait photography and also trying to serve a niche in the market for people who wanted a luxury boutique experience at an affordable price. And so from that, Little Nest Portraits was born. That was about six years ago. Now we have two company-owned locations in the Philadelphia area, about 25 employees, and uh, five franchisees. So it is um, very exciting uh, to have seen that concept grow. And um, I know uh, you had mentioned, Jody, that when you look at my bio, it looks as though we've grown very fast. But I, I like to joke with people that I'm a 15-year overnight success. <laughs> you know, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it really you know, it has been a very slow, slow and laborious process of deeply understanding the industry and the customer base and then growing it and scaling it and learning the re- how to incorporate that with retail operations. You know, Laura, thank you for underscoring that because I think that's the mentality a lot of people go into business with is, you know, I have to do this really fast. 
And it's got to happen now and it's got to happen within the next year. But the reality is to get to a business the size of yours, it takes time. It takes really being and like you had we chatted about before we started recording, you know, being willing to make some mistakes and learn from them and just to constantly be improving. And over time, you will get there. Like if you have the attitude that you're going to stick with. Absolutely. I mean, I like to think of our franchisees as probably skipping three to five years of the startup phase. (laughs) because of the systems and processes we, you know, we forged ahead and and we, we made a lot of mistakes so they don't have to. Um, But ultimately, no matter what kind of business you start, it, it does take work. Um, You know, I, I don't know if I love the word hustle because when I hear the word hustle, I feel like there's imbalance in that word. And that, Mm -hmm. so that word does not resonate with me personally uh, because I think it requires balance and self-mastery to grow a business and become a true leader. Uh, But at the same time, you do have to be up for what it's going to take. And what it's going to take is really different for each person. And sometimes you could even have accelerated growth, right? So you might even get to a million dollars very quickly, but can you stay there? Do you have the mindset and the leadership to stay in that role? That's even more difficult. So Mm -hmm. um, it's no matter what it is, it's rarely easy. And, um, And at the same time, much like anybody out there that's listening that is a parent, I, I think entrepreneurship is a lot like parenting. It's high, low, it's the highest of the highs, the lowest of the lows. Um, and it is the most, one of the most rewarding ways that you could spend your time. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, and I look at it that same way. Yeah. And when you're a parent, you also have the attitude of, well, there is no getting rid of this. <laughs> this I'm <laughs> like, I'm sticking with this regardless of how it looks day by day. Yes, yes. I might need to call in reinforcement so I can sleep. But, right. <laughs> but um, you know, this is one of my greatest loves uh, of right. my life. And, and, and to me, you know, it, it, to really live out your passion for your business, it does feel the same way. That's the best way I could describe it to somebody. Mm-hmm. And Laura, I'm curious, what were some of the initial changes you made to your business? Now, I know like a lot of changes took place over the course of time, but when you were looking at your business model and you were thinking, okay, some things have to change and you did make changes, what were some of those specifics that you did to start changing up your business model so it didn't rely on you 100% of the time? Yes, absolutely. It really took a mindset of thinking through at every step of my business, how could somebody make a decision without calling me on my cell phone? What <laughs> manual do I have? What process do I have in place? What, how are they empowered to make decisions? What information do they have to make independent decisions in case it's not covered in the manual or in the guide or in the step-by-step process or in the point-of-sale system? If it's not covered in any of those areas, how can I pro- provide them with continual information and education so that they can use the go- their God-given talents and gifts to apply to the situation and make a decision? And create that culture. I always say to people, we do not run an ER. No one's going to die. Please just make a decision. And if it's the wrong one, that's okay. Just, I'll probably ask you not to make it again. (laughs) And that's the worst thing that will happen. That's the worst possible outcome. (laughs) Right. We'll debrief what happened and think of how we can prevent it from happening in the future. Right. Nobody, again, nobody has to die or get hurt over this. Yeah. In an emergency room, thank goodness. And, you know, and it's a family portrait studio. And if you sell something at a price that I wish you hadn't, I'll just let you know at our next Mm -hmm. meeting. And when you, when you bring together 25 
artistic, creative, intelligent women, there's a little bit of perfectionism that can come into play that can be paralyzing. And so I'm, I'm constantly reminding people, please just make a decision, just make a decision. And if it's, you know, and, and there's, there's really, there's no harm in making a decision and being able to say, you know what, I'm just going to make this call in this moment is empowering to everybody. And so mm-hmm. I'm constantly reminding people, we have to try things. There's no, there's, and also creating a culture where there's no finger pointing or blaming when a wrong decision is made and reminding everybody of the bigger picture constantly that we are part of a greater good, that we're creating heirlooms for people that they will have for the rest of their lives. And that if somebody made a call that you wish they hadn't, that's okay. I'm sure you'll make a call at some point that they wished you hadn't. And we're all working towards a greater good here. Oh my gosh, Laura, I feel like there's so many things in what you said that I wish I, like we could go down, <laughs> <laughs> pass on each one of them. But the, the thing I want to underscore is, and you said the word culture, right? If you want a culture where people are empowered to make decisions, you also, and this is where people like miss the boat on this. You also have to have a culture that embraces mistakes, you know, and, and has the attitude of we will learn from this, we will learn together because I see people trying to create a culture where they don't have to be there all the time, where they can give up some of the control. But then as soon as a mistake is made, they're freaking out about it and they're pulling, you know, decision-making back and that can set a culture back. So it's important that, you know, and I, and I, get from your story that you did this, you thought through, okay, in order for me to be able to step away, not only what systems, processes, and procedures do I have to have in place, but who do I need to be, you know, so that this culture stays intact? Absolutely. And the best thing that ever happened to my company was my two maternity leaves. Best thing. (laughs) Because my first son had terrible food allergies took a long time to figure out what was going on for him. Then when I was, um, my first one was fertility treatment and it took us a long time to get pregnant. And if anybody's out there who's had that experience, they know how painful and difficult that is. When my first son was six months old, I got pregnant again, which was a miracle. And I did not even know, you know, I joke around like, oh my gosh, sex can get you pregnant. Who knew, you know? And <laughs> it was like amazing. And then he was born. So I had two children 16 months apart. While growing this business. And it was the best thing that ever happened to my company. Because each time, I really relied on those systems and processes. And people just had to make a decision. And it was some of the best months in my company. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure out how to reproduce that. I think I should just keep going having more babies. I think my employees would have to attack. <laughs> but I, but, but it, was, right. it was the best the best year to this date in this company was the year I had my first child. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's like a, a science experiment, but it, it's happening in life. Yes, yes. It's right. a psychology experiment because when you really remove yourself, it is amazing the degree to which your people can step up. Oh, oh yes. I've seen it happen so many times because a lot of times when there's a, a distinct leader in the room, everyone kind of like falls into a role 
around that leader. Yes. But when that leader is gone, it's like there's got to be a shift. Who then steps up? Yes. You know, do they do they go about it as a team? Do they name a leader? Not that any one way is better than another or every situation calls for something different. But it's amazing when you do take the leader out of the picture that people do step up and they're very capable. It's just they were deferring. Yes. You know, while the leader was around. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, Laura, I'm going to proceed because we I have questions I have to ask. Yes, you, please so. do. Please do. So clearly you have gained a lot of confidence over the last 15 years. But what I'm always interested in is, you know, the playing small moments, right? Because we all know you, you've you achieved a level of success, but, you know, we're, you know, it wasn't a superhero that achieved this. You're, you're a human being just like the rest of us. And you've had your moments too. So take us back to a time when you were playing small and share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. I mean, I think that Playing small. I'll preface it by saying um, that I'm going to I'm going to the the premise of the question. I would actually support, and that playing small at first is not a bad thing. I don't think it is at all. And I have a saying in my company that I say, you know, load, take the gun, fire at the target, fire again, fire again, fire again, hit the target. Now load the cannons, and mm-hmm. that's it's it's not a bad thing to, to test. And so when I saw this question, I thought, when is the time that I've played small? Cause I've always, my mindset has always like, I'm a dreamer. I've always thought big on everything that I'm doing. In fact, probably my, my downfall is that I've always thought really big. And then I've kind of had to like scale it down into small pieces and, and make those goals, goals attainable. But when I started out Little Nest Portraits, um, it was, I was thinking small. I was thinking this is a temporary solution to um, an economic downturn and that this was going to be a little spinoff of Laura Novak Photography. And I thought of myself as a leader in the industry, a name in the Philadelphia area, and this was going to be a little side project. Um, now, six years later, I would probably see that 90% of the customers that come into Little Nest have no idea who I am. And that has been, um, I think at first I was thinking very small. I was thinking, okay, it just needs to be this little spinoff of my independent business and my name's still on the door. And I don't think I embraced Little Nest soon enough. And that probably held it back because the customer base was showing a high level of demand. I mean, our year two and year three performances of both of our studios are astounding when I look back on them, how quickly they ramped up. But my mentality was straddling both my, I think my attachment to being an independent photographer and my attachment to my name in the area and a little bit of ego in there. And then also understanding that that something was being created that was bigger than me. And other people saw it sooner. Uh, one of my husband's friends who has grown a huge digital advertising agency said to me, you know, Laura, you should just fold yourself into Little Nest. And I said, no, you know, no, no, that's, that's the, the, the other alternative to Laura Novak Photography. And here I am years later, happily working within Little Nest Studios, happy to be part of the team. Um, there's many times where I will fill in when there's times that we're understaffed or I'll bring one of the celebrity level clients that I've had since starting Laura Novak Photography into Little Nest. And I am one of the many pieces that make that organization run well. And that, um, I think took a lessening of the ego 
for me to embrace it. And I wished I'd done it sooner. Mm, I love that story, Laura, because I I love how you started out. No one's ever answered it that way. But it's so true that sometimes um, just our playing small doesn't have to do with doubt per se. It has to do with the size of the belief we have Mm -hmm. about something in particular. It could be about ourselves. In your case, it was about the potential of the business and where it was going to go. But because our, you know, our beliefs you know, are what motivate our actions and our thoughts that sometimes what has to happen is the environment around us has to change for our beliefs to grow. And so we grow with it. And for you, it was customer feedback and demand that had you suddenly changing your belief system about what this business could be, right? And what it what it meant for you and, and your business identity. Yeah, it really was a shedding of the skin starting Little Nest Portraits. And every now and then we'll get a franchise lead from a photographer that says to us, oh, so you mean my name won't be on the door anymore? And I know they're not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ultimately, most of our franchisees who, who are coming on board are not photographers. They're business people. And we provide all the photography infrastructure and support um, because I think business people innately get that. They understand that it's a good thing to grow something bigger than any one person. That's a healthy organization. And uh, I think it took me a while because it's such the opposite of how the photography industry operates and thinks. Yeah, absolutely. It's normally a name attached to it. But you're right in terms of like growing the big business and legacy, it becomes a problem when one person's name is on the business. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes a difficult business to sell and impossible to franchise. Yeah, impossible to franchise, impossible to sell. It's not an asset. Um, you know, the best case scenario is that you run it until retirement and then liquidate at the end. And, mm-hmm. um, and also there's no life balance when your name is the business and the business can't run without you there. It's impossible to have any kind of goals around work-life harmony. Mm-hmm. Because even though the person helping the customer is very capable, a lot of times the customer wants to be talking to the owner because they believe the owner is the only one who truly has ownership in the business, although you and I know that's not true. Yeah, as long as that relationship is with the owner, not the brand. But ultimately, you want the relationship to be with the brand. Yeah, awesome. Perfect. Now, Laura, share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. I think the time that I had a wake-up call it was my um, my wake up calls are probably evolutionary. Um, I think maybe I'm. It just takes me a little bit longer to get things. And over time, I realized that culture is my responsibility, and it's no one else's responsibility, and you can't delegate it. And there's been many times in this organization that I have delegated culture, meaning I might see something that today, if I see something that I think is opposite of the culture that I'm looking to create in the company, I will take the person aside and I'll say something, whereas five years ago, I wouldn't have. I would have either said, oh, that's their manager's responsibility. I'm going to talk to their manager to talk to them. Or I would say, well, that's just their personality. I would make excuses for not taking responsibility for culture. And I had a, a senior manager in my organization at one point who who was totally the opposite of me philosophically when it came to culture. And I really let that person, I delegated the culture to her. And 
she created a culture of fear and blame. And it took me probably almost two years to undo that. And um, ultimately, I probably lost one or two employees as a result of that. Um, Good people who I think we could have saved maybe if um, it wasn't that exact instance that that resulted in them leaving, but it was probably a series of thoughts that were a result of the instance that I was never able to fully undo. And it is so easy for cultures to get away from the owner when you're creating something to run without you because you're not there every day. You're not part of the everyday decision making. But culture is just the one thing you can't delegate. You can't, you can delegate systems, processes, operations, customer service, sales, photography. You can delegate operations all day long. You can delegate marketing. Can't delegate culture. And that is probably one of my biggest mistakes and something I'll never let happen again. So for, you know, if a franchisee is really stressed out and they're snapping at people, um, which can happen sometimes, I'll call them and say, you know, can I help you? Is there something going on for you that I can talk to you about? Can I be there for you in a different way? And I have to let you know, I'm afraid that the way that you're acting is going to get in the way of your success. And I really want you to reiterate the importance of culture in this organization. I'll have that conversation. And um, it's not always comfortable, but it's definitely my responsibility. I that is perfect. And you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna take this one with me into like the workshops and the training and the sessions I have with my client because you are absolutely right. And you know what's really interesting from the perspective of the employee, you never de- delegated culture, you abdicated mm-hmm. authority, right? And as far as they're concerned, that's the culture you created. Yes. Right? Because as a as the business owner, if you let one person get away with something, you've created that culture. Yes. And that is so difficult because it's it can happen unintentionally. And it's so important yeah. to be able to have a tune in on what's happening within your organization, almost a sixth sense of what's happening within your organization when you're not there all the time. For example, I've got a little back office where franchise support operates out of and my desk is here. I'm not in the studios every day, but I do have a kind of a sixth sense of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Know. And for those within organizations, what they really need to understand too is there are subcultures within organizations. You have to take responsibility of the area you're responsible for. Because I remember being a manager of business units and there would be one employee who, you know, was doing some things that weren't so great, but we were building them up and we were, you know, trying to train them and, and stuff. But I was letting them get away with stuff. I was turning a blind eye because this person had potential and I was trying to build them up. And ultimately, what came back around was some of the, you know, team members in that business unit coming up to me and saying, why are you letting them get away with this stuff? This is making our lives very stressful. And I was like, oh, like I just felt it in that moment because exactly what you had described, I had abdicated culture. Yes. And I'm the, the one thing I started after this, um, for those of you who are growing organizations that are bigger than maybe just a, you know, a small handful of people. If you have direct reports who have direct reports, one thing I started also was a skip a level meeting. Mm-hmm. And so it's very much part of the fabric of my leadership to meet with my employees' employees. I do it all the time. If I get the sense something's going on with somebody, good or bad, if I think they're doing a fabulous job, if I'm concerned about them, I just set up a meeting. 
And it's nerve-wracking for their boss because they could say something negative about their boss to me. But their boss just needs to understand, and they do, and they're fully understanding and supportive of the idea that I'll just set up a skip a level meeting all the time. I probably have two or three months. I have one on Thursday. And it's just check-in. How are you doing? How are things going? Could we be doing anything better for you as a company? Yeah. I, I remember those meetings when my team w- might be meeting with my boss. I enjoyed that. I did not feel threatened by it at all because I was just like, my boss is going to reinforce what we've been doing. Right. <laughs> you know? So it's like they, my team gets to hear it from somebody at a higher level of authority than I am. So they, they get, you know, I'm following company culture. Yes. Too. Yes. So. If you're a confident manager, as you were, then you have nothing to worry about. Right. Right. And I've noticed the people who sweat, who are like, you're meeting with my employees. What do you mean? They have something to hide. <laughs> so right. Right. That's a good sign. You know, it's just in itself. That is a great sign. All right, Laura, what I want everyone to get is there's no one way to lead. And you've kind of already been answering this question right along, but I'm sure you have a a very articulate answer to this question. We're all different. We're going to lead differently. But there, you know, there's definitely nuances in how we lead. So how would you describe your leadership style? I would definitely describe my leadership style as humility through service. Um, I am always asking other people what I could do to make them more successful. And that's actually one of the reasons why I really like being a franchisor. It's a good fit for that. Um, I think sometimes franchising has a a negative connotation because it can be a little bit like a parent-child relationship when it's not set up right. But when it's set up right, it's set up through servant leadership. So setting lofty goals and serving other people towards meeting those goals. And that's definitely part of the fabric of my style. And that has advantages and it has disadvantages. Sometimes with a servant's heart, you can get a little bit, um, you know, bogged down by other people's uh, concerns or issues. Um, And so that's something I've had to manage within myself as a servant leader. But I really look at my role, my most important role is to serve others, remove obstacles, create processes, provide support and encouragement so that they can meet their personal goals. And when they win, I win. Yeah. And I can tell in everything you've said up until this point, you take it very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, franchising is an investment. It's a huge investment. Um, So I take that incredibly seriously. And I take the fact that uh, I take a lot of responsibility for the people with my organization. I think it's Something that maybe is, I don't want to say unique to women, but probably particularly true for women, is there is something maternal about having people in your organization that you feel responsible for. Um, mm-hmm. You feel responsible for this, their success and, and for their development and for them to find joy outside the home. And, um, and that's something I, I really believe in. Yeah. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I don't have kids and I feel very maternal. Yes. <laughs> Towards people I know are counting on me or I'm supporting and I'm leading, I want to take care of them. That is a very maternal quality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I love it. And Laura, what is one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? 
the franchising is just so exciting. It's exciting to see this. It's really thrilling to see the systems and processes working so well. That's very exciting. For example, we have extensive online training for onboarding photographers. And every time I have a critique, I think, okay, this is working. You know, you really see the training showing up in their photography, which is so exciting. So just overall, franchising is really exciting. But for me personally, I'll say I'm very much moving into that, that founder to CEO role. And I am really learning and getting pushed outside my comfort zone. And it's a good thing. So I'm learning strategy. I'm learning how to, re- how to run strategy meetings. You know, I'm learning how to lead an organization that has a purpose backed by a plan and the plan, the strategic planning process. And for somebody who, you know, I already spent most of my years, my years as a photographer and really understanding what it's like to be a photographer. Um, this is, it's a stretch and it's exciting and fun and, um, and challenging. Yeah. I bet, you know, especially getting to that, because I can hear it, you're at that next level of leadership, where you're more the vision, the strategy, and the best thing you can do is to get out of the way of the day to day. Yes, yes. And manage myself. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Manage myself. Because (laughs) when you get it, when you move from management to leadership, and I'm, I'm not out of management by any means. um, But I have people who who do majority of the management in my organization at this point, when you move from management to leadership, it's about self mastery first, then it's about leading others. And um, that's something I'm also learning. And it's fun. There's so much creativity in leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does. It's it's an honor and a privilege, really. Perfect. All right, Laura, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what's one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? Meditation and prayer. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Brene Brown's most recent book, Rising Strong. I had everybody in my company um, read a chapter of that. Oh, I love that book. And it's, it's a lot of what you were talking about, too, where can you be okay with your mistakes? Can you rise from there? Mm-hmm. And can you be authentic? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And of course, even as you asked me the question, I answered it with a question mark because I've been talking so much about her books lately that I feel like I have them out of order. But yes, Rising Strong was the last one. (laughs) Perfect. Laura, what advice would you give your younger self? Don't take the bait when people try to hand you negativity. So I think as an empathetic and compassionate leader, we sometimes buy into negative feedback. And there's a difference between somebody providing information or knowledge or even opinions and projecting negativity onto you. And the more you grow in your organization, the more likely that is to happen. And it took me a really long time to realize that it's actually my job to to rise above that. Mm -hmm. And that took me a long time. And it's, it's hard. I think it takes a lot of people a long time to develop the skill of distinguishing out people's intentions, right? Are they telling you this because they love you and they want you to grow? Or are they telling you this because they're jealous and they want to tear you down? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without even maybe meaning to or knowing it. Right, right. You know, because sometimes people can say they give us the same feedback, but you can't take in the negative. Yes. 
right? When it comes from that place, because the intentions are not good. The, the intentions are not for your betterment. Yeah. So um, just for any kind of new manager, I'll even say that when somebody's not performing in their job, the first thing they're going to do is tell you why it's your fault. <laughs> and I, it took me a long time to learn that. Now, three, four weeks in, somebody's thinking, they start blaming one of the managers. I'm like, oh, no, no, that happens. Don't worry about it. Probably not going to work out. You know, like I don't even, mm -hmm. I, it doesn't even like phase me. Like they're taking it so personally. I was like, oh, no, no, that, that happens each time somebody's about to not work out. Don't worry about it. It's normal. That, yeah. that is so great that as a mentor, you can give people that feedback on the spot. Yeah, and it's like, do, I don't even think about it. But when I was a yeah. manager, I'd be like, oh my gosh, they're right. I don't have a good enough job description for them. I totally failed them in setting expectations for this job. You know, and I would just buy into it. Oh, and yeah. I, I know I did too. Like I would be up in the middle of the night, like upset yeah. and like, oh my God, what could I have done? Then I put them on this long program to help them develop and get better and put all the pieces yeah. in place. And ultimately they still didn't, still work, didn't out. work out. Yeah. It was funny because our first franchisee, one of her photographers didn't make it through basic training and our basic training's tough by design. And, um, right when she started blaming the franchisee, who is one of the loveliest people I've ever met in my life, um, I was just like, oh, yeah, that's bad. She's probably not going to work out. <laughs> you know, like not, I didn't even, she's like, really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, it has nothing to do with you. Once she's in yeah. that stage where she's blaming you that she's not delivering, unfortunately, there's probably not that much hope for her. Um, and it was just so funny. It was such a natural reaction. But like I said, 10 years ago, I would have swallowed it whole. I would have just completely bought mm -hmm. into the fact that it was my fault, that my systems weren't good enough, or my training wasn't good enough, or my job description wasn't good enough, or my instructions was, you know, I would just, I would just go for it, you know, yeah. right in. And now I know, okay, you know, this is part of what happens. You know, and I think this is one of the many reasons why women say as they get older, they'd never go back to being young again, <laughs> right? They, we get into our 30s, our 40s, and our 50s, and we become less stressed, than we were in our 20s, because in our 20s, we, you know, we didn't know any better. And we were working so hard to, you know, make a name for ourselves and take care of everybody. And then I think as you get older, you just get to a point where you know better. And you don't get as emotionally upset over things that, like you said, are just, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And I, and I think, you know, there was an optimism and a naivety to being in the 20s, which was lovely. And I think, you know, there's never a negative to anything that is, we might consider a weaker part of ourselves, because there's usually a strength in there somewhere. And the idea is to carry it with you, right? Or to be able to tap into it when you need to, versus write it off as like, oh my God, thank, thank God I'm not there anymore. Um, and I think there's a part of me that, that still every now and then I need to remember what it was like to just start a business. You know, it's been mm -hmm. so long for me. When I see other yes. people going through it, I really try to put myself back there so I can empathize. And then there's something lovely about having 15 years of experience to tap into as well. <laughs> right, right. Balancing it out, yeah. having that experience as your foundation, but, you know, still trying to keep some optimism and, you know, go into things a little, um, a little naive even. Mm -hmm. Still today, there are some things you know, that I'm like, I'll learn as I go, yeah. but I'm not going to get all stressed out about it right now and learn about all the problems because then I won't, I won't make a move. Right. I won't move forward. So it's, it's nice to kind of still come from that mindset of there's still a lot to learn. Yep. 
I love it. All right, Laura, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. One thing that I um, try to repeat a lot in my head is just something that I, is my own mantra that I, I made up, which is peace in my heart, wisdom in mouth. So I really try to have peace in my heart. If something's unsettling, I try to figure out what is it about what's happening that's unsettling to me. And it usually means like something will feel unsettling, but I don't know why. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, something comes to light that I didn't know about like a week or two later, you know? And, and so I try to sort through when I don't have peace about something, why that is and, and what I could do about it. And then wisdom out of my mouth. And wisdom out of my mouth means to me asking a lot of questions before I answer. If I don't feel like I have wisdom to share, saying, you know, let me think about that. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And providing uh, just a, a powerful, inspiring, positive word when I'm faced with challenges and problems. And lastly, what's the best way for this community to connect with you? No, I think that's just um, that you can find me on social media. My name is Laura Novak, N-O-V-A-K. Um, but as you can see, a big part of leadership is mindset. So I set up a, um, you can drop by welcome.littlenestphoto.com, L-I-T-T-L-E, nest, N-E-S-T, photo.com backslash leadership. And there's a complimentary download about gems, about uh, filled with gems of the mindset that I needed to shift. And one in particular that was holding me back on growing as a leader. So you can take a look at that download and see if it would be a great fit for you. Oh, that's very generous, Laura, because, you know, I would say 90% of leadership is mindset, if yes. not more. Yes. It's really just what do you, what are your beliefs? What do you, how do you see things will shape exactly how you perceive them and how you'll respond to them. So that's huge. So anyone listening, go and grab that, take advantage of it, because this woman has done a lot in the last 15 years and probably has a lot of good things to share. (laughs) And for those of you listening, you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Likewise, Jody, it was so lovely meeting you and I'm just really honored to be here. So thank you again. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life? Head over to womentl.com forward slash recognized to reserve your spot in my upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work that you do. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me, and here's to your success.